Hi! Welcome to the CGW Sports Show podcast on this episode. Get Leah Hextall's thoughts on ruffled feathers. What did that mean when Paul Maurice said that earlier this week? And oh yeah, there is still a lot more hockey to be played in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So the Power Parlay crew, Philly and Joe from Power Mornings, myself. Well, we're going to try to be better than our round one predictions, which were bad. Of course, the Bombers had their free agent camp this week. Well, guess what's happening this weekend? The Manitoba Bisons football team holding their spring camp. I talked to head coach Brian Doby about that. You can hear it on the podcast. We're going to lose some good men probably to make everything fit, and we've got a few ruffled feathers in there. We're going to have to flatten out here before we get going, and that's a good thing. So uh, earlier talking to Leah Hextall about the Jets, had their season-ending chats with the media Monday. One thing that stood out was Paul Maurice mentioning some ruffled feathers on the team. What was that about? You know, it's interesting to me because I actually went back and rewatched all of the media that day. And when I was watching Paul Maurice, the thing that stood out to me and kind of got my spidey senses going was the fact that he didn't have to say that. You know, there's interesting doors that Paul opened when he was talking. The other one was about the coaching staff. He was asked about the coaches, but he went as far to say, you know, if things happen, I'll resign. But when he talked about the ruffled feathers, he didn't have to say that. And so I've had a few people from the national media reach out to me and say, what are you hearing about the Jets? And from a little bit of conversations that I've had around the organization, it's not just, I think we could see from the player's body language that they're not a happy group right now. And it's not just about the fact that they feel they underachieved. There are some, I believe, dynamics not just going on between the players, the players and coaches, the coaches and the general manager, and the general manager and ownership. I think that this is a full-out effect that there is, you know, there's an old saying I'm not going to say because I'd get you in trouble because you have to bleep me. But (laughs) when things happen, it rolls downhill. Uh, And I feel like there was some very honest conversations that have been happening. And I was, you know, I'm just going to say I have been told that there there is a lot of people who took off very quickly after the end of the season because they were told, you want to get out of here now, because things are going to get worse before they're going to get better. Well, that's so not it's reassuring. Going to be interesting to me. Yeah, but you know what? I think what happens there is I think those are pivotal moments. I think sometimes, you know, organizations can have tons of talent. But, you know, it was interesting because Brian Burke was on Sportsnet last night, and he was talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs offseason that's coming up, and he had four things of it, and they were friction, in-game adjustments, and they also had roster construction and salary cap issues. That's very similar to the Winnipeg Jets. And I believe that the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Jets are in very similar positions. And there is friction between Dubas and Babcock. You can see it. I think that there are some people above Paul that maybe don't agree with necessarily everything that he did this season. I think there's players that don't agree with some of the coaching moves that the, the, the moves that the coaching staff made. And I, I honestly think within each other, there's some players looking at each other that are not happy with what went on this season when it comes to effort. So uh, this is a hot take question before I let you go, but is Paul Maurice coaching for his job next year? You know, it's interesting because I believe he has next, I think he has two seasons left because you know with coaches, they, they don't give you the details. And I think he has two seasons left. And I would say this, I think that, you know, next year is going to be a big year. And if they 
make the moves that they need to this offseason, if they get people signed that they should, if perhaps they bring in a couple of areas that they need some help with, I think Paul has to come out and have a good season. And it's not because he's not a good coach, but they know that they're, we've talked about the window, right? And, you know, that window is not closed. It's open. It's got some time, but it doesn't have tons of time. And I think they all know that next year, this coaching staff, I think you're going to see them be more willing to make adjustments to their players than kind of have the players dictate what goes on. So like many people in round one, we didn't, uh, didn't do great with our picks. I, I, I got Dallas. Billy, you got Dallas. I had Blues and Six. So as yes, much you as did. you guys, you know, wanted the Jets to win, I did have that. But that was basically it. We we got the Sharks, though probably shouldn't have gotten the Sharks, and everything else was wrong. We were wrong. But <laughs> oh, if I remember correctly, we did discuss the fact that some of these lesser teams could cause some problems. I remember talking about the culture in Carolina. Would yeah. that carry through? I mean, it did in a game seven. We also talked about Colorado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were they really going to be as easy a, of a test for Calgary? Well, well and, we, look- and we asked, oh, we don't, we're not sure about Calgary's goaltending. Turns out that was the only thing that they had that yeah. was good. That's yes. true. That's right. That's true. But Carolina, I wanted, but I didn't have the guts. I want. I, I may even have said that. I can't remember. But even in the, 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 the playoff pool that I go in with my buddies, anybody who took a hurricane, I was like, I, I wish I had the guts because I – they were 29 and 12 down the stretch. Something obscene. They were good. They were one of the best teams in the NHL. So let's down the look stretch. at who was hot down the stretch. St. Louis was the best. Dallas was second best in the West down the stretch. Carolina was hot. Columbus had to win to get in. Yeah. They all won. Now, it doesn't always happen that yeah, way, right. but it did this year. And also, the Islanders, we thought they could beat the Penguins, but we gave the edge to veteran savvy for Pittsburgh. Turns out that did meant nothing. nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And he, John Cooper referenced that, the coach of the Lightning. Yeah referenced not that switch that switch like these teams that have been battling they're mm-hmm. in battle mode and it for for the lightning and and it just they, get swept they couldn't find it it's weird that's pretty it's unacceptable really yeah yeah no kidding and now the jets are done too that was not a total surprise just mm. the way they played down the stretch i guess joe we saw no. yeah we I saw, still took them in six yeah I, I wanted i took them in seven i just couldn't believe they wouldn't find a way but we wound up seeing a lot of the things that we saw during mm-hmm. the regular season. It carried over, mm-hmm. the, you know. So no excuses, no regrets. Round two, here we go. All right. We're so, going to screw this up too? <laughs> so we do have a game in the books already. Boston beating Columbus in overtime last night and St. Louis holding on to beat Dallas. So we'll start in the East. The original odds for Boston-Columbus was Bruins minus 140. Jack is plus 120. It's now up to minus 290 for the Bruins. So they give that one game one home win in overtime to Boston and their odds go up exponentially. Do we think Columbus can take this or because Boston is, you know, they have the third best record in the NHL this year. We've seen that regular season results don't necessarily mean anything, but Boston, you'd have to think is the favorite right now to win the cup. Well, I grew up a Bruins fan because the Jets were in the WHA Mm -hmm. when I was growing up and I thought the Bruins had a good shot going into this playoff, so I'm not going to stop rooting them on now. But you can't take anything away from Columbus. They knocked out the number one team, and they were this close to winning game one within a 13-second radius. So, you know, I think uh, that's the game changer in the series, though, game one. I think Boston prevails throughout the series, but they'll win game two at home. 
Are you, you're taking the Bruins to win Bruins. the series? Yeah. I got the Bruins to win the series as well, I think. Now my eight-year-old, who follows it closely, he's got Columbus winning the Cup now. Okay. He was so impressed wow. with their win over Tampa, but I'm going to have to disagree with him. Uh, the Bruins, with what you said, they're the best team remaining. And I think with Tampa Bay out now, they look at it like, whoa, opportunities knocking. They're deep. They've got. I love their defense core. I see the Bruins winning this and going all the way to the Cup final. They have the experience, and Columbus was definitely rusty last night to start. They hadn't played in nine days. Yeah, yeah we're gonna tough see to t- judge. And we're going to see tonight with the Islanders not having played in ten days mm-hmm. right. what happens against Carolina, but it's really hard to pick. A- we just saw it so many times in round one where the thing that you didn't expect happened, but then when it comes to predicting again, we can't tell ourselves, oh, that'll happen again. Yeah. Just because they did good in round one doesn't necessarily mean anything for round two. So I'm going to think Bruins. And I don't think it's going to be a super long series. I don't either, actually. I think in five games, the so Bruins the, beat Columbus. The, the bubble will burst on the Blue Jackets. So that means the Jackets will probably win in <laughs> six. Uh, Carolina and the <laughs> Islanders starts tonight. Islanders, they haven't played since last Tuesday. Minus 125, Hurricanes plus 105. So the odds are pretty even for that. Um, Islanders have home ice. They were very, very stout defensively against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, just, I'm going to give the nod to uh, Dolphins' own Barry Trotz and his coaching. Went to the cup final and won last year. Lots of experience. Turned this team around. Phone calls as soon as John Tavares was gone to tell these guys we're going to be okay. I'm going to take uh, Barry Trotz and ride uh, the Manitoba train through this uh, round. I'm going to go Carolina. Okay. I'm super impressed with what I see from this team as far as the scoring chances they allow, uh, the way they play defense. Just the whole, they be one of the best teams going in Washington. The defending cup champions, like, make no mistake about it. The Caps are good. Mm-hmm. And to come back the way they did in game seven, just super impressed with the Hurricanes. I think the, this could be a long series and a very close series, a lot of 2-1, two, 3-2, three, two, but I'll take the, I say the Hurricanes keep rolling here. The reality is maybe we forget that Washington has a long history of choking at home in game seven. <laughs> that was very kind of a typical Capitals loss. Yeah. Ignoring the cup win. No TJ Oshie as well, true. which is, was a big mm-hmm. loss. That's true. However, they did uh, have a 2 nothing lead early in mm-hmm. that game. Went on to lose in double overtime. I just love how defensively sound the, the New York Islanders are. And Barry Trotz got over the hump last year. This is a team. Both teams are incredibly cohesive units yeah. that you don't look at teams and see any superstars. Could you imagine if Trotz goes back-to-back years to the cup with, with different, different teams, teams? Wow, that would and be... the whole ending in Washington? Like, oh my I God, would, that I, could happen. No superstars, I got you, but Aho and Barzell are emerging superstars. Sure, sure, yeah. sure, yes. sure, sure. This could be like the, the coming out party nationally mm-hmm. for these players because let's face it, how many people regularly watch the Hurricanes and Islanders? Play? Well, yeah. not even Carolina. In Carolina, do they usually watch <laughs> that's, until that's, the whole bunch of jerks campaign? Yeah. That's true. They are they are the bandwagon favorite. Yes, but I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with the Islanders. And yeah, a long series. I think six or seven games. Uh, we'll go to the West now. We'll start with the Sharks and Avalanche. Uh, right now, the Sharks minus one thirty, Avalanche plus one ten. So slightly higher favorites for the Sharks. They get past Vegas. Probably shouldn't have a really bad five minute penalty minute penalty that should not have been called on Cody Eakin. Yeah, unfortunately. Should have been two minutes, but Vegas also could have killed it off without allowing four power play goals. <laughs> True. Isn't, you know, honest to God, I think Colorado's just too fast. And I don't necessarily Vegas know. Vegas pretty fast, too. Yeah, no, they are. But uh, honestly, I don't know if the Sharks goaltending right. 
Marty Jones had a couple of moments where he played but brilliantly. But he was also awful yeah. the times. first four games. Yeah, yeah. so I'm going gonna, gonna to give the nod to the Avs. I think uh, the speed, I think some of these guys wake up. There was like uh, Landeskog was snakebitten for the first part of that series mm-hmm. against Calgary. Mm-hmm. I think these guys blow the door open in, yeah. uh, against San Jose. McKinnon's amazing. Oh, yes. he is he like how much better is McDavid than McKinnon? Like it's 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 different, but it's yeah. I think it's closer than we and Randon's pretty good too. Than we think, yeah. yeah. I'm gonna agree with Joe. I uh, I think San Jose. Every year, there's one of those series where one team has no business winning that series. San Jose had no business beating Vegas. Vegas was the better team for 85 percent of that series. It's just one of those weird things where they wound up losing the series, the the, the penalty that they didn't deserve in Game Seven. So Vegas to me is the better team. They should be in this spot. San Jose's there. But Colorado, with everything they've got going, McKinnon, I think that could be a quick series. I think Colorado just – I watched them, and I'm like, why were they a wild-card team, the Avalanche? Right. Well, they got hot late. Uh, I'm going to have to I – don't, I don't like having a consensus. So I'm going to go with the <laughs> Sharks just because of a couple things. Now, I know Pavelski's not going to play in game one at least. Mm-hmm. So that hurts their case. But you mentioned there's usually a team that gets by. But sometimes that's – the destiny thing. Yeah. And we saw yes, that with Virginia yes. in the NCAA basketball tournament. There were like three games in a row where they shouldn't have won. And everybody. And now they're the title champions. So. And everybody just keeps betting against them for that. Re- oh, yeah. They yeah, don't deserve exactly. to be here. Yeah. I've been hearing after Calgary lost to Colorado, a lot of people were saying, hey, I think Colorado's now the favorite in the mm-hmm. West. And I don't know if that dies down, but get Joe Thornton a cup. Yeah. Get him yeah, a cup. Yeah. It's his Jumbo. last chance. Jumbo Joe. So <laughs> I'll go with the Sharks. I don't have a lot of conviction in that pick. And finally, the Stars and Blues uh, going into the series. The Blues were minus 160, and they're now minus 290 after winning game one, 3-2. Ben Bishop led in a couple softies. Yeah, yeah. Really, the, blue, the, the Stars are only going to go as far as Ben Bishop takes them. I yeah. think. It's the who cares round uh, series for oh, me, yeah. to be honest, because the, the Jets lost to like, that team. Yeah. And to be honest, I'm not that excited about watching that series, but I'll give only them a lot not- of goals. No, but I give the nod to the St. Louis Blues because they knocked out the Jets. And I believe Craig Berube is one hell of a hockey coach. Mm -hmm. He was like just that demeanor he carries with him. Those guys seem to respect him. And uh, I think it's just for guys like Alex Steen, you know, give them a bit of a nod. I went... I would love to see the Stars win because I've got three of them in one of the pools I'm in. Uh, but I just look at St. Louis and Dallas. They're so similar. Very similar. Very yeah. sound defensively. Like to play the physical game. The only thing is I think St. Louis is a little bit better at some of the things that the two teams do similarly. Like they, they have a little bit more depth. They can. I, I feel like they can score a little more maybe. Uh, Goaltending. Goaltending. I was very – well, Bishop, if yeah. he gets rolling, but – Seven gamer, but I'm going to give the nod to St. Louis. I was super impressed with how they played the Jets. I am a Stars fan, full disclosure. Oh, so, please I, convince me then. I want to know Dallas can <laughs> win this series. Yeah, but I'm a I'm the kind of fan that a doesn't show it outwardly too often, and b is often pessimistic and will temper expectations by saying, "Oh, they're not going to win," and then when they win, they're surprised instead of disappointed that they lost. But they are very similar teams. They do not score a ton of goals. They got a couple games where they got five past Pekarene. Bennington has so far showed that he's a better goaltender, at least right now, mm-hmm. than Pecorine is. And St. Louis plays better in front of him than Nashville. I agree. So, I think the Stars are going to lose. <laughs> I think it's going to be six. But 
just for the hell of it, let's say Stars in seven, just okay. for my heart. Uh, one, before I let you go, do you guys buy into the notion of, oh, there's no Canadian teams left, I shouldn't care, or does that even matter? Because there are Canadians on every team. Well, I've enjoyed watching games just because of the excitement of the games. There's enough Canadian kids still playing. But it's more I about the cities that I've you're never, cheering for, right? Yeah. Like you want the people in Calgary to be happy or the people yeah. in you, Toronto. I grew up as a Bruins fan, too, and okay. a Jets fan, so I'm, I'm still invested. But I think I'd watch even if the Bruins weren't. Yeah. Some of these series... Yeah. Have me excited. Um, I'm. I won't set the hard appointments when the Canadian teams are out. Like Jets are playing, can't miss it. Don't care what's going on. Let's You're not put going a TV. out of your way to watch Game Three right. Islanders Hurricanes. Even the Leafs, I hate them so much. I'll make sure I watch it just in case they lose, so I can be happy. Right. Um, yeah. So it's not quite the same interest level, but it's still there. I'm going to watch the games. I like. I've got money on the line. I'm in a few pools, right. so yeah, I'm interested still. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, it should be a lot of fun. We'll check in uh, next week to see how much money we've lost. Gotta yes. do better. We gotta do better. Manitoba Bison's football team holding its spring camp this weekend. Last night, there were team and positional meetings, and their first practice just wrapped up. Tape this interview with head coach Brian Doby ahead of that practice, and I asked him how excited he is to get camp going. Well, yeah, it obviously feels really good. Uh, the sun is shining today, and uh, it's literally the start of our 2019 season. You know, of course, we have a big break in the summertime, but our players all know that like um, tonight's practice is practice one for 2019 and a lot of jobs are on the line, um, you know, pecking order, hierarchy, competitiveness, and all the things that go with that. And uh, we're excited to see our, our vets uh, combined on a field with, with, you know, with, with our rookies uh, that are in for camp. So uh, there's a lot going on and people are trying to make the football team and move up in the ranks and, uh, and, and, competition is what it's all about and we're really excited for it so how many players do you have coming out to camp uh wow that's a that, that's a great question i i can't say i literally did um the count because we've been uh, we've been adding on slowly but surely throughout the last 10 days um but we're we're in the neighborhood of you know uh 110 and uh, 110 115 and uh uh it's a, it's a combination of three groups our, our veteran players uh our uh, committed um new players our committed recruits players we've gone out and, and signed and um a whole group of walk-ons um many of them um local high school guys that are all getting their shot this weekend we even have um we even have a handful of international students uh in particular uh, a small group of nigerian nigerian kids who uh have never literally played football before. But we've had some success with that with David Onyemata, who's now with the New Orleans Saints. So uh, you never know. You might find that that big, big diamond in the rough. In the rough. So uh, uh, giving everybody an opportunity. Take me through the process of, of getting those players to camp here. Were they coming to the school anyway? Uh, in, well, uh, I would say this. Um you know, if there was no football program here, um, pretty much none of them would be here at attending this university. Almost all would be at another, you know, another university somewhere in the country. They're, they're football players and they want to play university football and, and they want to combine that experience um, and that opportunity with their academics and, and, and meld it into one um, as a student athlete. So, um, so you know the process is 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 all about recruiting it's all about recruiting and 
you know, I feel like quite literally that is almost all I do in my life. Uh, a day, almost literally, I'll say about 350 days a year does not go by where I'm not recruiting. I'm, I'm texting people, I'm phoning people, I'm meeting with people. And, um, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at film that, that players are sending to me and, and the list goes on in some way, shape or form. It's, it's all about recruiting. And uh, this is sort of, this weekend is sort of the culmination of this past year or two of recruiting with this particular group. So I should have clarified the process of getting the uh, Nigerian players uh, to camp here. What is, uh, were they coming oh. here just for football, or how did they end up? No, in the camp? no, no. International students. Uh, the, the Nigerian kids that I'm referring to, um, you know, and and you know some of the, some of the African kids uh, that have come in. I think there's a real. It's been like this for years since Israel Adonije played here. Um, he made such an impact. Um, in football, in in the country, and certainly in this province, and particularly on our campus, and and then of course many years later it was David Onyemata, both of them from uh, Lagos, Nigeria. Uh, through that time period from the early 2000s on, we've we've always had um, Nigerian kids um, contacting me. Many of them, most of them, from the international student office here uh, at the university. And in pretty much every case, I've never played football. Many of them never seen a football. This is their first experience on a football field. Um, some some of these young kids look pretty good, to be honest with you. Athletically, they they look the part. And if you didn't know uh, that they had never played football, you'd 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 look at me and you'd go, "Wow, that, there's a pretty good recruit you've got there, Brian." You know, so um, you know whether whether that we can fast track them enough to, you know, to to move forward quickly enough to learn the game and and and, and you know play it to this level. That's a big question, and um, and once in a while we do find that kid. Do those uh, players normally play on the defensive side of the ball? Do, do they care? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I see where you're going with it. Uh, in this case, actually, um, no, they don't care. They, you know, I, I always sit and, and have a meeting with each one of them um, and, and try to get sort of a, an aptitude, if you will. Um, you know, all of them are, are, are athletes in some way, shape or form. We don't really know how good they are athletically until we see them on the field. But, uh, you know, many of them played soccer. They played rugby. They've played field lac- lacrosse. They've played you know, various sports um, that they may have excelled in at some, at some level. Um, And then you try to, you know, if you're a defender in soccer, um, I mean, there's something natural uh, that, that, you know, people play defense for a reason, you know, they play offense for a reason. Part of that, part of those reasons um, are are their, are their makeup, their, their personalities and and the, the way that they, they see things. So, uh, in this case, we've got um, we've got a pretty big receiver. Uh, he, he wants to give that a shot. We've got a running back that he really looks apart. We've um, there's uh, there's a defensive end and and, and a linebacker. So uh, we'll see how it, how it turns out for each each of those guys individually. As for the veterans who are coming into camp here. How important is it to, I don't if it's shaking off the rust or just seeing where they're at right now because you're still many months away from the season? 
That's true. Now, now we, we've gone through three weeks of uh, vets camp, vets practice. So, so we're rolling into spring camp. So our vets, um, the beauty of this for our vets is, is a comparative a comparative evaluation. So, again, you know, we've, we've been at this for three weeks, all through April. And, um, and now uh, with spring camp, we combine the vets with all, all the new players, all the rookies and, and uh, all the walk-ons. And we're able to use the vets um, as much as anything to evaluate the rookies. Uh, you know, how, how does that rookie compare to that third or fourth year vet? Well, we don't expect them to be on the same level, but we want to see if they can, if they can run with them, if they can play with them, if they can, you know, <laughs> yeah, play football with them, compete with them. Um, and, and then, uh, of course, everything becomes more intense in spring camp. It, it's exciting. You know, it's exciting for our vets. You've, you've got a, you know, I'm standing in our locker room talking to you right now. It's empty right now in the morning, but, uh, uh, but, but having said that, um, it's filled with, you know, it's a huge locker room, but now it's also filled with chairs all over the place. We've got so many new guys in for the camp and, and everybody's excited. Everybody's checking everybody out and players want to win and, and they're excited to see who's coming in to, to potentially and hopefully join their football team to, to help, to help them, to help us win. So uh, it's an exciting time of the year. So you got four practices and a scrimmage this weekend. And then the CFL draft is coming up next Thursday. Uh, yeah. I, I imagine you're going to be uh, paying very close attention to what happens that night. Absolutely. For, for many reasons. I mean, you, you know, the irony of all this is that, um, you know, you, you work with these guys and, and, and they progress forward and, and you're, and of course, you know, you're close with all your players and they, and, and you, and you see them grow just like your kids and, and, and you wish them the best and away they go. And the, and the very top guys um, get their opportunities, get drafted, get signed as free agents, whatever the case may be. Um, ironically, they're invariably your best players that get drafted and, and they're the last players you actually want to lose because every one of these guys potentially, uh, academically eligibility wise, they can all come back. They've got, they've got at least one more year remaining in eligibility. So, um, it's tough. Uh, you, you, as soon as somebody gets drafted, you're super happy for them. And then you go, well, he's gone. There's a big hole to fill. So uh, you never know um, what's going to happen in the CFL draft. It's always really interesting. Uh, but quite honestly, I don't mean this arrogantly. I really don't. Um, I honestly expect to see uh, for sure, I think, three, maybe five, which would be a lot, uh, Bison's drafted. I think we're going to have three or four guys Um you know, selected before the draft is done. Um, and, and, uh, and that's a big statement. It's, um, and, and it's a big statement for our program and, and for everybody in our locker room and in our coaches room. And it's something to hang your hat on and, and to be proud of. And, and it, it shows, it, it shows the work that's been put in and the development and, and, uh, and it's always great to see these guys chasing their dreams and, and getting that opportunity to, to you know, to put the nail on it and get it done. So, uh, yeah, May second is a <laughs> it's it's a big night, no question. It's a big night. Well, Brian, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me today, and uh, have fun this weekend.
Yeah, you bet. Thank you. Thanks for your time, too. Brought to you by Santa Lucia Pizza. Santa Lucia was part of the best. <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> Why did that just happen? <laughs> Voted the best pizza in town in a Winnipeg sun pool. Sky comes back and instantly I forget how words work. Satisfy your hunger with Santa Lucia pizza. Voted the best. Check out the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. with Christian O'Mell and the Sports Show Podcast. Not available on iTunes, not available on Google Podcasts, not available anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Yes.